Welcome to the Yours in Marketing podcast. Hey, it's Blake here. If this is the first time that you're joining us on the Yours in Marketing podcast, do me a favor. Please go wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where, and please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast right now. Well, or after the episode, whichever works for you. We're really looking for your support so that we can build this and make it even more valuable for you. So please rate, review, and subscribe to the Yours in Marketing podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. On today's episode, I was able to speak with Benjamin Shapiro, who is a marketing consultant and host of the MarTech podcast. And as you imagine, we talk a lot about MarTech or marketing and technology and how to build systems for automation while still remaining authentic. We also discuss the keys to successful brand development, which is something that he focuses on heavily. And finally, he gives some great advice to young marketers. So you're going to want to stick around. Without any further ado, here is the episode with Benjamin Shapiro. All right. So I'm here with Benjamin Shapiro, who is the host of the MarTech podcast. Benjamin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Fantastic to have you on. And MarTech is something that we have not ever discussed on this podcast. So I'm excited to kind of dive into it. Uh, I guess that's really where we should start because there might be a lot of people wondering, what is that? And why does that apply to me? And why should I learn it? Sure. Uh, You know, what is MarTech is actually the first keyword uh, when you do your keyword research, if you're trying to build a MarTech podcast, mm-hmm. um, that's the the most searched thing other than the generic term MarTech. It stands for marketing and technology. And so there is a, an approach and an industry that is a subset of broader marketing where instead of focusing on media buying and brand campaigns, marketers are starting to weave together all of the various technologies that enable them to have smaller staffs, um, build larger reach and more effective marketing communication without uh, the the budget or the headcount. And so really MarTech is a growing trend in the marketing industry where people are making various technology systems talk to each other to feed data from point A to B to C to D to produce the right communication to the right person at the right time. And is this is this something that only digital marketing can really benefit from or can traditional marketing also use MarTech? Yeah, that's a great question. Traditionally, and by that I mean over the last 10 years since the rise of, you know, the digital revolution, let's call it, the MarTech has been built around digital technologies. How do I figure sure. out whose email I have access to? What triggers have they caught on our website and then what communication should those triggers, you know, involve. Mm -hmm. So for example, I might get somebody's email through, you know, some sort of a uh, white paper. And then if they come back to my site or they spend a certain amount of time on my site, it's going to trigger an email to be sent to them asking them to do call to action A, B, and C. There is a trend now as the digital media is getting more expensive, right? Facebook mm-hmm. costs are going up and Google's getting more expensive as, as there's more competition in those channels for people to double back and go into the offline channels. And so there's been more technology built around, hey, how was somebody exposed to a billboard ad that I was running or an audio ad or you know some sort of other non-digital type of marketing? You can use digital signals to understand if somebody was likely going to be exposed to any sort of marketing collateral and then feed that into your MarTech system and do your marketing automation. So 
um, more and more I'm seeing that offline channels are actually being used in digital marketing or, or with digital marketing in conjunction. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about this and to get into it, but I think the, the right place to start here would be to get a little bit more of your background and just see where you started. So you, you've got a long career uh, behind you with, with in marketing, and I'd love to just kind of take it back to the beginning. Where'd you get your start specifically in marketing and how did you kind of get up to this place where now you're running a podcast about MarTech? Yeah. You know, I started in college. Um, I was a business major and I had a concentration in marketing. And so I started studying the practice of marketing, you know, learning from, from books and teachers uh, when I was in my teens, 18, 19 years old. Uh, my first job at a college wasn't in marketing. It was in sales. I was an idiot college kid like most people are when they're 20, 21 years old. And I graduated and I took the first job that I got, which was basically a door-to-door sales job selling phone service and water coolers. Wow. Um, yeah, it was borderline a multi-level marketing company. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going down that path to somebody that's starting their career, but... I got a lot of great learnings out of this experience uh, as much what I did not want to do as what I did want to do. But I you know, learned from my sales experience and being in a shady company early in my career and, and try to figure out you know, what was the path to get back to what I wanted to do. So that company moved me around. I went to college in Boston, went to Boston University. I was pretty good at sales. And so the company moved me from Boston to Orange County and then Dallas, Texas. And uh, I was in Dallas, Texas for about six months. I decided I, you know, this company was a, a scam and I didn't want to do it anymore, but I just wasn't ready to move again. So uh, that's really when the my marketing career started. I started working for a sports marketing agency. I love sports. Okay. And, you know, I, I basically got into marketing professionally because I needed to find another job and I was, you know, focused on working in sports marketing. So that's kind of how I got into marketing professionally. Interesting. So, well, let's take a, a pause there then. So in sports, if you're, if you're a sports fan, let's talk about some of your favorite teams here. Yeah. Um, uh, are, are you a, are you more of a football guy, basketball, baseball? Yeah, football, baseball, basketball, kind of the traditional American sports. I am a big Giants fan, uh, San Francisco Giants fan in baseball. Um, I follow uh Cal, University of California for mm-hmm. college football and basketball almost religiously. My family basically says, I, says go Bears instead of I love you. And uh, ironically, I did not go to Cal, but I've been going to those games since I was a little kid because at Boston oh. University, the athletic program wasn't a big deal. Right. Um, but yeah, I've been a, been a big Cal supporter for a long time. And the 49ers are my professional football team. And the, the yeah. Warriors and what for about basketball. basketball? Yeah, Do you have I'm an a NBA big, team? Big Golden State Warriors fan. Well, that, that bodes well for you. It's been a good couple of years then. It's been a fun you. ride. Yeah. <laughs> thought, thought I'd take that tangent. I'd be remiss if I didn't. I'm also a big sports fan. Um, but I grew up in Utah, so I only have one team, you know, that we can really support, the Jazz. Other than that, you gotta you just got to pick and choose. You got the Utes, too. You know, you got a college program there, and there's nah. BYU. There's, there's other sports that are around. I'm a BYU fan, but that's a hard life to live. <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So you you get out of the sales job and you finally get into sports marketing. Take us through kind of from then until then you start working with companies like Handle, 
And uh, let, let's kind of go through that journey. Yeah. So the the story goes, uh, you know, I was basically entry level, even though I had a couple of years of uh, work experience, started working for a sports marketing agency, nice company, nice people, a company called Genesco. But the nature of being in sports marketing as an entry level employee is you're making copies and coffee and doing, you know, <laughs> work that is not necessarily that gratifying. Not a lot of pay, long hours, wasn't a great gig for me in terms of learning, but I was in an industry that I thought was interesting. Eventually, I kind of soured on, uh, you know, where I was. I didn't really have anything that was holding me living in Texas. Loved my time there, met some great people, but my friends and my family were in California and I wanted to work Mm -hmm. my way back there. So I decided to pick up and move and uh, started a job search when I got back to the Bay Area. And lo and behold, you know, there's a little bit of a tech boom in the suburbs of San Francisco. And so when I got back home to where I originally grew up, the cool companies that were around were eBay, uh, Yahoo, Google, and then there was like HP and some other big tech companies. This was the early 2000s, pre-Facebook. MySpace was a kind of a big deal, but they were based in Los Angeles. So wow. I started okay. making the rounds and uh, and interviewing at those types of companies, not having worked in technology and uh, through networking, I landed a job, a uh, relatively uh, early stage career job uh, at eBay. And that was really the start of my career. While I had some marketing experience, I really learned the technology landscape and the internet marketing landscape and spent you know two lifetimes career-wise working at eBay and, and learned a ton. And so that's really where my career started. So you were, you were the manager of like of internet marketing there? Is that what you were? Yeah. So I worked on the business development team within internet marketing. So my resume says manager in the internet marketing team. Mm -hmm. Um, But I negotiated and managed the relationships between eBay and some of the other large strategic portal partnerships. So what, how does eBay work with Yahoo? How does eBay work with Google? Um, Twitter became a thing, Uh, you know, Facebook, eBay has all these relationships and tries to put these what are called fixed integrations. So how do you put an eBay search box onto the Yahoo homepage? That was a big, you know, milestone for us. Um, And, you know, how do we make these widgets and desktop icons and just put eBay on everyone's computers or in everyone's browsers across the globe? And so I was managing these large multi-million dollar strategic relationships. And I worked my way up from being an account manager to owning the relationships to doing the negotiations and, Eventually at eBay, um, on the side, I started working on a, a guitar lesson startup, trying to connect guitar students and teachers because I'm a, a big music fan too. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I, I basically decided that I wanted to do that full time, but I needed to transition away from the role that I had into one that would allow me to have more time while still staying at eBay. So I transferred to the SEO team and started learning about content development and management. And that was kind of a transition out of eBay. I was there for six months and in kind of an unofficial part-time capacity while I was getting ready to launch my startup. So the, the people at eBay really took care of me and allowed me to have a smooth transition away from the organization while still providing value. And eventually I went on to become a startup founder. So eBay, they kind of let you just work on this thing and and kind of gain the skills that you need. Is that your first exposure to SEO? Yeah. So I had worked at eBay for six plus years 
when I went right. to my leadership at the time and said, I'm going to transfer, I'm going to leave the company and I'm not really sure how to do it. I don't necessarily want to, you know, just quit, but I'm developing this other thing. And I think this is my future career path. Can you help me make the transition? And I want to, you know, help the organization and, and be a good employee. And so we found a hybrid model where I was coming on to the SEO team, which didn't have a ton of leadership. And I had been around eBay for a while to help manage some of the, uh, the the team logistics, get the team meetings up and running, document some of the strategy, just kind of be an adult in the room to a team that was going through some turnover. The, the leader of the team had gone to another company. So I did that for about six months, made some great relationships, learned a ton about SEO and content marketing, and then bridged the gap and to you know eventually get ready to launch my startup. And so I was bootstrapping the company and it gave me a little bit more runway and let me get a little farther along to the point where I felt comfortable being able to leave a secure nine to five paying job and try to to launch my own company. Those lessons in the past, in the last six months of, of being at eBay, do you feel like you were prepared when when you start? So Strum School was your your startup and where you, where you feel like you were prepared at that point to launch this thing and grow it organically? Or did you still have some some issues with growing it? And did you still have lessons to learn on that front? Yeah, you know, life happens while you're busy making plans. And I, I thought I was prepared. Um, turns out those six months at eBay working on the SEO team were incredibly valuable to the rest of my career, probably more valuable or as valuable as what I learned launching my own startup. I made some incredibly close relationships, made some really good friends. And some of the people that I met, uh, one specifically that I still work with today, um, as I graduated from, you know, running my own startup and eventually uh, left my startup or I closed the startup. And then I started running marketing departments for early stage companies that were VC backed. Eventually I got tired of working for VC backed companies. And I, you know, the relationships that I had cultivated at eBay helped me start my consulting business, which is what I'm doing today. So I guess the lesson here for me was, you know, any opportunity you have to learn new skills and cultivate new relationships is a valuable one. And while I was like itching to get out of eBay and I wanted to go launch my startup and it was going to be the next Facebook and I was going to be a bazillionaire and super successful, like the relationships I had as I was transitioning away from eBay were as valuable as the two years or year and a half that I spent working on Strum School. And honestly, at Strum School, it was great. I learned a tremendous amount about running my own business and about how to be an entrepreneur, but I got my ass kicked. And, you know, running a company is really hard. And I did everything wrong, just like most people do when they are running their first startup, you know, spent money in the wrong places, made assumptions that I didn't validate and eventually, you know, lost my shirt and had to go back and find a paying job. And, and that's, you know, when I decided to go back into focusing on being a marketer and my career is sort of headed down that path ever since. Right. Well, so, so after that point, then you mentioned you go to these VC backed early stage startups. So the first one being handle, what, what was that experience like being the head of marketing for a company like that? That's just kind of in the early stages, you know, incredibly rewarding. Handle, somehow I, I lucked into Handle. It started off as a consulting gig and I was always a, a contract. I was always a contractor at Handle, even though I was the only marketer that was on the team while I was there. 
And a lot of what I was doing was brand development. Handle was a productivity app that helped people convert all the emails into tasks so they can focus on the things they needed to do, not the emails that people were sending them. And so it helped you go from email to to task and, and manage your calendar at the same time. And it helped me, A, from a productivity perspective. Everybody there was very much focused on figuring out how to make people more productive and focus on what mattered. The leadership of the company was wonderful. Uh, Sean Carolyn is the, was the CEO of the company, was a, a great mentor and, and was, is a great role model. And so, you know, not only did I learn a lot about how to think about what a customer's needs were and communicate that to develop a brand, because when I was there, the company was still basically pre-launch. We were kind of in an alpha and early beta phase. So I learned a lot about brand development while I was at Handle, and it, it gave me a springboard to move forward to my next role, um, which was a, another VC-backed company where I went into the on-demand space and you know, kind of tried to bridge the gap to a, from being at eBay at a marketplace. I did on-demand services working on Strum School, and I did productivity while I was at Handle, and I wanted to kind of combine all of those things, and that's why the, the next job was so attractive to me. Just looking through like all the things that you've accomplished so far, it's really varied in in all the things that you've done. You start out in sales of all things, and then you kind of go on to do sports marketing, and then you get into eBay where you're able to do biz dev and SEO. But then you you do your own startup, and you have to learn other skills. And then when you're doing these these VC back for you know with these with these companies. You're doing brand development, customer acquisition. You're the head of marketing, the VP of marketing. Is It sounds like there are so many different things that you've had to learn over the, the past several years of your career. Is there one thing in particular you feel like is really sets you apart that you have an unfair advantage over other people? Or do you feel like you're just well-rounded? I, I don't know if I would say I have any unfair advantages. I think that where I have some... God-given ability or, or talent or whatever you want to call it um, is my ability to help give brands a voice, um, to be able to articulate some of the things that companies are trying to say in a way that consumers understand, not making language too complicated, right? Being direct and straightforward. And so I think that's also helped me as a podcast host I do think being well-rounded, you know, I'd say I'm relatively well-rounded as a marketer, and that's a, a gift and a curse too. I, I am not a specialist. I'm not a performance marketing specialist. I'm not a growth hacker. I'm not an engineer. And so a lot of people have had great careers and were ahead of the game, you know, as I was growing up as a marketer because they became experts in PPC and they could just go make an impact for a business. And for me, I had to learn a little of this and learn a little of that and put all the pieces together to really have a view of the overall landscape of marketing, to understand how performance marketing and brand marketing and growth marketing all fit together. And now that I'm a little more mature and have had you know a couple of other experiences, I feel like I've kind of come of age as a marketer. But that was all trial and error and not being excellent in one place, but learning enough to be dangerous. And so I think that it was challenging going through the early and I think I'm still in the middle part of my career, but that making the transition to the middle of my career. But now that I'm kind of in that middle stage, I feel like I have a broad set of experiences. And so those challenges were all rewarding as I look back at them. 
now you're doing consulting for yourself, which must be incredibly rewarding to work for yourself and kind of be able to choose the things that you want to do. Um, but I wish I'll, it were as much th- of a choice as you as you made it sound like. But you know, uh, yeah, I guess you still have responsibility and. Yeah, yeah. I got a million bosses. It's not like I work for myself, but I also have to keep all of the clients happy. So, you know, when you're starting off an independent consulting business, you're in the ATM portion, which is anything for money. And so you take on all these projects just to pay the bills to, to prove that you can do it. And eventually as you figure out where you specialize and what you're good at and you get your sales pitch down, then you could start being a little bit more selective. But I had... A couple of years when I was first launching the business where, you know, business was good, but I was doing whatever I could to pay the bills as opposed to being selective about where I excelled. And so, you know, again, it forced me to learn new things and take on new challenges, which made me more of a well-rounded marketer, but it was also stressful and challenging getting up and running. Uh, Yeah. And I think even businesses can relate to that too. I mean, businesses in their infancy are that they have to just make choices based off of money a lot of the time and be okay with whatever customer. And maybe, you know, if you're an agency, for example, over time, you can start designing the kind of customer that you want to have. And, and then that becomes more of a reality, but up front, it might just be, you take what you can get and you do the best work that you could possibly do. But I, that's, that's just kind of a rite of passage, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's what the struggle is all about is, you know, finding your, and and this is a little preachy, but finding your place in the world. And, you know, from a career perspective, it took some of the the more challenging times. My startup didn't go very well. Handle was great, but I was a contractor. I was the VP of marketing at Rinse, and uh, that was a really rewarding role. And I loved the company, but the relationship soured. And so that led me into being an independent marketing consultant. And and only then when I started to focus on the things that I inherently did well and playing towards my strength that I feel like I really found my calling and my niche. And it took me multiple years as an independent consultant to build enough credibility and routine and systems to really feel like I was stable. And then all of a sudden this podcast popped up, which was an experiment, you know, gone wrong. And, and all of a sudden that's kind of taken over my career And so, you know, you never know what direction you're going to go. I definitely don't feel like I've like, oh, I've arrived as, you know, maybe when you look back and you look at anybody's resume, it's like, boy, this is an amazing story. But like, you know, I still have the same stresses and concerns that I did early in my career. I guess they're different, but I still have the same level of stresses and concerns about direction and path. And, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit more equipped to deal with some of them, but doesn't get any easier. The, the, the struggle is real. Yeah, for sure. Well, now that you're doing the podcast and you're, you're talking a lot about MarTech, was there any point in your career in the positions that you held that MarTech even came up? Or is that just something that kind of fell in your lap as you were doing your consulting? Yeah. Um, you know, running the marketing department at the early stage startups and even going back to my startup, because we were always resource constrained, I or we, depending on which company it was, but it was always like, how can you do the most with the least? And instead of having to buy a bunch of media or hire a bunch of people, I had to find ways to be efficient. And so a lot of the reasons why MarTech is so interesting is because it increases the efficiency of, you know, 
your your company and your website's throughput. You don't have to buy a ton of media if you can use data to be very targeted. And then once you get someone into your system and you're able to connect all these disparate systems together, you can cut costs on your overall technology spend and still have this really great throughput. And so, you know, having to weave all of these technologies together and and understanding, you know, how do we figure out how our paid media strategy impacts what we're doing from a website and a communication perspective, having run a couple marketing departments, help me communicate that to other companies. And as a consultant, instead of working for one company for, you know, two years to four years, I'm working for five companies a year. So you get all of these additional reps of seeing how a company puts their system together and how they think about marketing and brand and communication and influencers and PR. And you just get a lot of cycles. And so it helps you start to think about marketing in a more sophisticated way. Um, You maybe don't get the depth that you would if you were in-house, but you see a lot of different brands and, and meet a lot of great marketers. And then that has increased exponentially for me as a podcast host because I'm constantly talking to marketers about how they think about their marketing challenges, about how they think about integrating technology to help them be more efficient. So, you know, MarTech is a, an interesting trend and, and, you know, I don't think it necessarily is only specific to marketing. I think in, in engineering and operation, there's the idea of taking little bits of technology that just do one function for you and then connecting them to this other little piece of technology to help automate your processes. And so, you know, MarTech, engineering tech, which is probably just tech tech, operations tech, whatever it is, like this trend of automation and understanding data and making sure that you're being efficient with it is really kind of revolutionary and and has helped me in my career. When we get into things like talking about automation, one thing that a lot of people ask me about is how can we remain authentic while still in a, in the mode of automation. So I guess I would I would pass that question on to you. If um, if Martech is going to help th- make things more efficient, if it's you know building out a system that links things together and just makes it a little bit easier for things to work together, how do we maintain our authenticity through that? And uh, it, or is that even possible? Yeah, I, I totally think it is. I think when people think about automation, they're thinking of spam emails right? I'm going to create one email and I'm going to send it out to everybody and it's just going to be automated when it blasts out. But what if somebody has a different cadence? And, you know, that's kind of the old school way of automating marketing outreach. Um, I take a little bit of a different approach in my business where I am creating a processy myself and I'm doing things manually. And then once I figure out how it works manually, I try to automate the task that I'm doing and I'm breaking things down into a micro task. So I'll take my sponsorship outreach, right? I have a podcast that reaches 40,000 downloads plus a month. Um, And I try to tell, I try to sell sponsorship space to B2B SaaS companies. Um, And I can reach out to them all individually. And originally when I started doing our sponsorship outreach, it was me typing in each keystroke one at a time and figuring out what message resonated. And eventually I figured out that the message that resonated was I needed to target people that were marketing in events. They were sponsoring marketing, digital marketing events. So once I knew who I was targeting, everybody that I'm going to reach out is a sponsor of a digital marketing event. The email copy becomes, hi, I'm the founder and 
producer of the MarTech podcast. I'm reaching out to you because I saw you were a host or a sponsor of X marketing event. And if you're a sponsor of that event, I think you'd make a great sponsor for the MarTech podcast. Here are the details of the show. If you're interested in connecting, I'd love to talk to you about how podcast sponsorship works. All I'm doing is filling in somebody's name and the event that they were a sponsor of. But it is personalized. And I would be writing that email to those people, keystroke by keystroke, you know, if I were doing it manually, it is still very much authentic. I was just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so that's where automation comes in. When you figure out what your process is and you're repeating something, try to find a technology to automate it. And you do that on the micro task level. Now I send this email to people that I'm interested in having be a sponsor of the MarTech podcast. And then when they respond back, I, you know, start a conversation with them. Well, that conversation gets documented in my CRM, my customer relationship management tool. And now I have a record of all of the people that I'm having conversations with. Well, that's automation, right? Now, all of a sudden I have a record and I can document and make sure that I understand what's happening with all these relationships. So I know how to follow up with them. So getting that data to trickle down from one system to another, from my email outreach campaigns to my CRM, from my CRM to my content management tool. That's really what MarTech is. And I am still shepherding those conversations. I'm still making sure that the communication is appropriate for each relationship. But it doesn't mean that I don't have a template that I'm filling out when I'm sending out each email because I'm sending out the same email to 10 to 100 people at a time but I do want it to be personalized. It has to be relevant. It doesn't mean that it's not, you know, me replicating the same thing because I would be saying the same thing to everybody else. Sure. I mean, if you would have, if you had to type them all out manually to everybody, they basically end up sounding about the same anyway. It would just be more work. If you're doing something three times a week, automate it or find somebody that is able to do it more efficiently and cheaper than you can. And I, you know, that's the the secret sauce for for me and my business where sponsorship outreach, you know, hey, great, I can send all of these emails. I don't need to go find the list of people that are sponsoring the MarTech events myself. I can pay somebody else to go build that list for me. I can pay somebody else to upload those campaigns into my inbox. I can then press send and make sure they're all right. Like I'm still, you know, doing QA and making sure that it's relevant, but I don't have to do every step in the process for it to be authentic. I put in the effort up front to figure out what the system was. And that's where people feel this authenticity. It is still my words. It's still my system. I'm still the one responsible for it. I'm just trying to do it at scale. I'm just using other people's resources and labor to help me be more efficient and automate the process. Do, do you have any other examples for maybe like an in-house marketer or another, any other consultant of examples of things that may need to be automated through MarTech, um, other systems that you've potentially built out, just other examples of this that might be helpful. I mean, in my business, you know, we use a lot of email marketing to send out communications at the right time. And whether it's like, hey, do you want to be a guest on the MarTech podcast? Or hey, do you want to be a sponsor of the MarTech podcast? Or you're a sponsor, here's how your campaign is going. Or you were a sponsor, do you want to buy a new campaign. Um, I use a lot of email templates and use a service called Mixmax where I, if I'm writing an email, I can easily copy that email, take out the things that are variables and use those templates again. And so I think the 
biggest trick from an email marketing perspective is, you know, all these emails are coming from me, from my inbox. They're coming from my Gmail. And when I'm sending a personal email, it needs to be in my tone. But I think people have this concept that if I'm sending a personal email, I need to write it from scratch every time. And I think that's a mistake. I think there's a lot of inefficiency there. And so when you have a great email, copy it, make it a template, spend the 10 minutes to turn it into a template, take out all the personalized stuff, insert a couple variables. And then when you need to resend something that's similar, use the template you've already created. And I think that makes you more efficient and you don't have to do all of this like unique work right? Don't try to scale yourself by copying what you've already done well and reuse it. What about in in the SEO? So that's for email marketing. Is there anything in SEO, like any processes that you've seen work for automation? For automation? I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I'm I'm not a an SEO by, by trade. I think I'm more of a general marketer, although I, I speak fluent SEO. I do an SEO podcast, but I am the host. In terms of automating SEO, you know, there are keyword lists, that you can can look at and, you know, replicating your content. I think if there's anything that I've done well that can be scaled in SEO, when I was working on Strum School, the guitar lesson marketplace, we created a lot of content. We were a content marketing machine. And instead of trying to write these unique blog posts at scale and me sitting down and being like, what's the best rock song of all time? Or how do you play Stairway to Heaven? What we would do is we would create a template. We are going to create 15 articles about the best 10 songs in X genre. And so I would go hire somebody who was, you know, an Upworker or somebody that was a good content writer and say, I want you to create this one article that I've wrote the top 10 rock songs. I want you to research and write this article using the template and the format that I've already created and go write the same article for jazz and for rap and for hip hop and for R&B and for country. And so all of a sudden now we have a template that we're following and my one article turns into one article for every genre. And all of a sudden we have this content machine that's producing, you know, an article a day or multiple articles a day. I, I want to shift a little bit. I would talked about MarTech here for a while, but I want to talk about brand development and something that you have done with, with multiple companies. Um, just overall, one of the things that I think separates good companies from great companies is that ability to truly build a brand. So when you're consulting people, whether it's a small business or, or a bigger client, what advice do you give to them when they come to you and say, our, our brand's not strong enough. We need to figure out how we can improve our brand. Do you have any foundational tips right off the bat that you give them? I have lots of foundational tips. And no one's ever come to me and said, my brand's not strong enough. People are generally very defensive about their brand. I guess that's um, true, yeah. Yeah, but you know, there's sometimes you have to have hard conversations of saying, your brand is all over the map or your brand isn't articulating what you want it to. Um, the, the trick for me with brand development is conducting interviews with two different groups. You have to interview the people that work at the company. And, you know, go through the top 10 stakeholders, the company and ask them, what does your company do? Who are your customers? What are your products? What are your customers needs? Why do your products fill those needs? And the answers are always all over the map. Very, very rarely does everybody say our customer is X, Y, and Z person. Um, 
most of the time you get very different answers and you have to find the truth of everybody's different answers. And that is the answer to the question. So, you know, if I went to go talk to an SEO company and they might say our, our customers, anybody with a website or big content businesses or people that work in e-commerce or healthcare, the truth is the overlying, you know, truth in all of those is your people, your customers are people that are trying to use content to market their websites. And so, you know, distilling down all these different answers into the most basic truth helps you form this underlying identity and understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and who you're trying to reach. And on the flip side, you need to go talk to those people and interview your customers or who you think your customers are going to be. And you're asking them, how do you think about, you know, the problem this company is trying to solve? Where would you look for information? What is the reason why you would look for information? What would get you to buy one product or another and, you know, underlying what's the problem you're trying to solve by looking for these types of tools. And when you distill down the two answers, sets of answers from those two groups, and you see where the overlap is, that's where your brand lives, right? I am an SEO company that is looking to help digital marketers and enterprise digital marketers are looking for X, Y, and Z services. And they're looking to find them through you know, influencer marketing and SEO and podcast content, right? That's the overlap that you're going to find between what your company is and what your customers want. And that's where your marketing really lives. And so building out your brand is not developing an icon. It's not, you know, the copy that you write on your website. It's the overlap between what your company is and what it's trying to accomplish and who your customers are and what they want. That, do you feel like most companies understand that logic or or do you think that um, cl- clients that you've had, for example, really do think that it is more about the logo, the the messaging, the, you know, do, do they agree with you when you tell them this or are they usually surprised? Most people start with intuition and I, I started with intuition for my business. Like you have to start somewhere. You got to, you know, you got to put something out there and see if it resonates And in an ideal world, everybody would do brand development research and figure out who their customers are before they start thinking about how to reach out to them and articulate it. It never works that way. People go and they create the website and they go and they write the copy and they go and they create the logo and they say, here's our brand. And then they say, okay, our brand isn't resonating or we want to get to a next level of scale and we need to start doing brand marketing. Now, how do we do that? And it's like, you got to go back to the beginning and talk to your customers about what did resonate with them and figure out how to embellish and talk about that more. So, you know, very rarely do people, it's only the marketers that start with, I'm going to develop a brand before I start running my business. You know, most people are like, I'm going to start building the website and putting the product out there before I start thinking about, you know, how do I refine my brand? Why do you think that is? I think that it takes time and energy and people are excited to get up and running and they figure that they will pivot and, you know, readjust what their brand is. Cause most people think a brand is a set of colors, icons, and words that describe your company. And they don't think of a brand as the connection between what the collection of people that are working at the company are trying to accomplish and what the people they're trying to reach really want. 
So for uh, for an in-house marketer, for example, that they're working with a company and they're kind of tasked with revising, you know, looking at the company's personas and just making sure that they're, you know, they're targeting the right buyer personas. Is there a specific process that you would gift them that would make that a little bit easier, a little bit more effective? Yeah. Um, I think about segmentation first before I think about personas. Um, I, you know, I, I wish I could think of a great example off the top of my head, but for me, it's like overarching who is the class of people you are trying to read, who is your customers. Let's break that group down into multiple segments. We're trying to reach people with enterprise level websites. Okay. What are the industries of people that have enterprise level websites? Well, it's e-commerce, media and publishing agencies and healthcare. And so now I have my four segments and then I'm creating buyer personas for each one of those segments. What is the digital marketer focused on content and e-commerce care about? And I am actually building a narrative and a story. And the personas is the last thing to me. It is who is the high level customer? How do you segment? And then how do you tell the story of the people in those segments? And that's what a persona is. How well do you think that companies, like just the average company, how well do you think that they actually cater all of their messaging to a persona that they've thought out pretty well? Average. I mean, by by nature, the answer to the question is some people do it great. Some people are terrible about it. And, and on average, people are average. They could get better. You know, very rarely are people world class in terms of creating buyer personas, understanding who they're talking to and crafting their message specifically to those people. I think as MarTech and marketing automation become more sophisticated, people are starting to think more about who these specific messages are going out to, and maybe they're getting better at segmentation. But some people are great at it. Some people are terrible. And on average, people are right in between. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> my, my, my final question here, my, my last big question, since you're, you're now in this new phase of your career where you're doing your own consulting, you're kind of in the middle of the career here. I would love for you, if you could give a brand new marketer out there, it's either fresh out of college or decided not even to go to college, but just to get into marketing, they're, they're out there looking for advice and they come to you. I would love to hear what advice you would give them based off your experiences and what you've learned, maybe things to avoid and things to pursue. It's good to take risks early in your career and try a bunch of different things. And when you do that, some of them are not going to be a fit for you. Um, everybody was looking for growth hackers when I was kind of at the, you know, foundational part of the, the end of the middle, the end of the beginning of my, and I wasn't a growth hacker. I was a brand marketer and strategist that understood performance marketing and growth tactics, but it was just not me fundamentally. And, you know, I had to try those roles and figure out that it wasn't necessarily right for me, but I learned a lot about those practices and those mediums even though I was, you know, on some level failing. But that helped push me towards the direction that I ended up going in. And it helped me find what is a good fit. So by trying lots of different things, you're going to get lots of experience and you're going to figure out what works for you. And going through those ups and downs, I think the lesson that you need to, or the thing you need to keep in mind is don't take it personally. If you try a bunch of things, a lot of things are not going to be perfect for you. Learn what is and start doing more of that as you mature in your career. And the other thing I'll say is network your ass off. 
the more people you can meet, the better relationships you can build, the more you invest in those relationships, the more it's going to help you as you move farther in your career, whether it be finding a job, having consulting clients, getting references, you know, care about your reputation, meet as many people as you can, try a bunch of different things. And, you know, just have some faith in the end that it all works out. Awesome. Great advice for for a young marketer. I really appreciate that. Benjamin Shapiro, it was a fantastic experience having you on. I do want to give you the chance to kind of talk about what you're building over at the MarTech podcast. And also you can talk about your your consulting. The floor is now yours for a minute to just kind of talk about what you're working on and what's what you're passionate about. I will keep it quick. And Blake, I appreciate you having me on the show. The MarTech podcast is a once a day during the week podcast. The episodes are 15 to 25 minutes, so they're treadmill or commute length. Uh, we cover B2B, B2C marketing, brand, growth, PR, like you name it, every type of marketing. We have people that use technology to help do a better job helping their companies grow. Uh, you can find the podcast by just searching MarTech podcast on any app store. You can go to martechpod.com. And uh, that links to my consulting website. So if you want to reach out to me or you're interested in more of my background, you can go through that website and find more information. But martechpod.com is the the place where we put all our content or just, you know, look in the iTunes podcast store or wherever you listen to your show. And real your quick, what's podcast. the website? martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com. The, uh, the consulting website. Oh, the consulting website's benjshap.com. B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P.com. But honestly, they're both the same site. If you go to martechpod.com, it just forwards you to the content section of my website. We'll make sure that that's in the show notes so everybody can go check that out. Benjamin, really was a pleasure. Thank you so much for your wisdom. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Blake, appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on the show. And that's it for today's episode. Again, if you're a first-time listener or you've been at it since the beginning, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Wherever you get your podcasts, we've got you covered anywhere you want.